as we kind of roll in today, we're going to watch a short video, and then we're going to talk about dreaming at Preston Christ. Lately, it seems that we're getting more and more confused about what a church actually is. So let's take some time to set the record straight. Church is not a building, though a building can be used by a church. Church is not a denomination, though a set of beliefs should be important to a church. Church is not about Sunday, though a church should not forsake meeting together. Church is not about one person or personality, though every church should be pastored. And church is not about size or growth, though every church is called to make disciples. So don't think of church as an address or a location, but rather think of church as mobile and on the move. Don't think of church as something built or planted, but rather think of church as something deployed. Don't think of church as where you are for an hour each week, but rather what you are every day of the week, because the church is the hands and feet of Jesus Christ. Feet shouldn't sit still. Hands shouldn't be idle. Feet go. Hands do. This is the church. Church isn't what you're sitting through right now, because you are the church. Now go and be the church. Sit, go, and be the church. Um, yeah, and that's, that's, that's the challenge as we look forward for the next few years here. Let me, before we go forward, let me talk about the past a little bit. In 1996, we asked that question here at Preston Crest. We, uh, in the very general sense, because I wasn't here in 96, but we asked this question, what did it mean in 96 to go and be the church? What did it mean for Preston Crest to be God's people here in the Metroplex? And so we had this process in 96 called Horizons 2000. We were really looking forward to the year 2000. And out of that process, I mean, it, a lot of things happened. One thing, we had 400 different dreams that came out of the congregation's uh, dreaming process. Those were prioritized. Not all of them came into reality. All of them were important in shaping who we are today. I mean, we didn't build the helipad on top of Preston Place. Um, we dropped the solid rocket uh, fuel program from our programming here at Preston Crest. But we did, um, for example, we had singles here before 96, but after that process, we decided to get really behind singles ministry. And so the singles ministry you know today at Preston Crest has several hundred members. That started kind of in a way in 96 with that dreaming process. We had uh, the children's ministry took off after 96. We staffed it, um, and, and it really took off. We had a um, all sorts of ministries came out of that. I mean, where do I even start? A lot of community ministries, divorce care, um, ministering to couples who, who are experiencing divorce or rather who have. I mean, a lot of great ministry came out of that in Horizons 2000 back in 96. And the idea was what does, you know, what does Jesus want to accomplish through us in the coming years? Well, that 96 was a long time ago, okay? Um, it, it 16 years back. And so it is time to dream again. It is time to once again um, pray together, fast together, turn on our imaginations together, and dream about what Jesus has for our next few years here at Preston Crest. And so that's what we're launching right now. Well, there's a story um, about a preacher named Eric Smith. And it was back in December. He is, um, he is on Christmas Eve walking home. And as he walks down one side of the street, 
just kind of thinking about life. He sees, he sees a little boy up ahead on the other side of the tree, street who is standing on the front, front porch of a house and is desperately trying to ring the doorbell of that house. Well, he continues walking down the street, and, and that kid seems determined to ring the doorbell, but is not quite tall enough to reach it. So finally, um, Preacher Eric smartly walks across the street, walks up onto the landing of this house, the, the porch of this house, and, and puts his hand on, the, on young Timmy's shoulder, reaches over, and gives, a, gives that doorbell a good strong ring. Then he kind of stoops down and says, So Timmy... What do we do now? And Timmy said, now we run. <laughs> now we run. Did you ever do that when you were a kid? Did you ever do that? Come on. Um, who didn't do that, you know? Um, now we run. What I take away from that story, though, is it, is it is not hard to get swept into someone else's project, into someone else's ministry. Sometimes we don't even know it's happening, um, but it is easy to do that. So what we want to do is we want to be intentional um, about what God has for us. And we're going to get in a minute, we're going to let Bob Chisholm talk a little bit about our vision, all right? Um, but what, what I want to do before we get into to, 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 to kind of have God paint the image of what he wants us to be, I think we need to kind of clean the canvas, I guess. And, and what I want to do is talk about, I think, some, some incorrect assumptions and some potentially dangerous assumptions that a lot of Christians, a lot of churches make these days. Because as we plan and dream about the future, we need to clear away some, some wrong thinking. So let's talk about these assumptions, then we'll talk about the vision here in just a minute. This is on your outline this morning, if you want to fill some of this out. And let me just give you, so I'm not plagiarizing, some of this stuff comes from a book called The the Present Future. Um, it's by Reggie McNeil. Uh, I think the subtitle of the book is Six Tough Questions Churches Need to Ask. And so he deals with some of the popular myths that Christians have and exposes those and calls us into really being the church in this culture in this time. Um, one of these assumptions is this, and I think you can see right off, this is not a healthy assumption. It goes like this. My church exists to serve me and people like me, all right? My church, there, there's a problem even with, with starting out with my church. It's not my church. It's his church, all right? And, and in a broader sense, it's our church as brothers and sisters in Christ. But there is this, what McNeil calls a clubhouse mentality that can develop where we begin to believe that my church is for people who dress like me. It's for people who think like me, people who vote like me. It's for people who behave like me. Um, and, and so a clubhouse mentality can develop in a church, and especially when you live in America in 2012, we are an incredibly consumeristic culture. Um, we believe, I mean, this is the message we get from media all day long, every day of the week, is you have all of these needs, and, and the world out there is supposed to meet your needs. Um, I've been told that it's hard to convince Americans of all of the ways that consumerism touches their life, um, because just as it's hard to get a fish to see that they're in water, it's hard for Americans to understand that they are in a consumeristic culture. We are so immersed in it. It is so our world 
world, it's difficult to even pick it out and label it because it's just the atmosphere that we breathe in, in the world that we live in. But, but this, it's obviously an incorrect correct assumption that church is about getting my needs met, my preferences fulfilled. Um, that's just not, not on target biblically. It's not the way Christ um, intends for his church work. The second thing here is an assumption which probably, which maybe it's not an incorrect correct assumption that many of you make, but I think a lot of people still have this assumption that most people still regularly attend church. In other words, it is still kind of the default mode in America. Most people are still church-growing people. Sorry to burst your bubble. that's, That's not true. It's not statistically true these days. It may have been true 30 years ago. It's not true today. Um, When you woke up this morning and got dressed and got in your car to come to church, probably 80% of the people on your street didn't, right? Um, and the, st- the stat here, you'll find different stats, but they all kind of agree about, about the, the number of folks who, who, who don't regularly attend church. I've got it on your outline. It's um, 18.7%. Recent research shows that the percentage of Americans who regularly attend church is 18.7%. Now, that's America. Probably here in Texas, probably in the Bible Belt, it's a little bit higher than that. But the reality is most people don't regularly attend church. Church, And if you see a survey where 40% of people say they regularly attend church, just know people tend to lie on surveys. Um, people, people tend to think, well, I see myself. I mean, I go to Easter service, you know. I went last week. And people tend to, I, tend to see themselves in the best possible light. The reality is more like 18 to 20% regularly attend church. Now, the, the third thing here, this is a very dangerous assumption. And I hear this, I sense this sometimes in conversations here, here and at other places. It, it goes like this. Young folks will wake up and come back to church once they learn to enjoy what we offer. Like at some point, all of these young people who've disappeared, all these children and grandchildren who don't go to church anymore, but, but used to when they were kids, someday they're going to grow up Someday they're going to mature, and someday they're all going to come back. And we just don't have any real hard evidence that suggests that that's true. Um, and so many, but what, what's happened is that many churches have just continued on as if nothing has changed, right? They, they, they think it's all going to work out in the wash. We don't really need to think about reaching those folks because in the end, they're all going to end up coming back. Um, and so they kind of write off statistics uh, and they just kind of naively sit and wait for their return, all right, of these younger folks. Then the fourth thing here is, this is a dangerous one. Um, I know some churches in my town or in my city that are really growing. So, so you hear the statistic that fewer and fewer people are going, but you think, yeah, but I know some churches that are really growing, that are really reaching people. Now, McNeil challenges this. Um, what, what Reggie McNeil says is that with, with rare exception, it's just not true. What is true is mom and pop operations, small town churches are getting absorbed into mega churches, into mall churches. Um, the, 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 you have these mega churches that are 
air quotes here, growing, what's really happening, and this is not my word, this is his word, they are cannibalizing other churches, all right? Um, that, that's what he knows uh, from, from the data he's looked at, is that oftentimes what happens is they are more like swelling, um, they are more like gaining members from other congregations, and so what looks like growth is really not growth in terms of reaching the community, reaching the lost, reaching the unchurched. And so what appears to be growth sometimes can be misleading. It's especially misleading in a culture like ours that brands things that grow as successful or even more dangerously in religious circles. If a church is growing, well, God must be with them, right? That's a dangerous assumption to make. You know, cancer grows too, but it's not a good thing, all right? Um, And so what we want to look for is, is, is a church that's impacting its community, a church that's genuinely, authentically reaching people for Christ and not necessarily just putting on uh, such a good marketing program that, that, you know, folks are leaving other churches to come to their church. I think that makes sense, okay? I think that makes sense. And I'm not, a, I'm not opposed to mega churches. I'm not opposed to church growth. Uh, I just think we need to recognize that a lot of times what looks like growth is actually just transfer, all right? Just, just people moving from congregation A to congregation B, all right? Now, perhaps the most important thing now that we have kind of cleaned the canvas a little bit of some false thinking is to go back to God. And this is the good part, because this is where we get positive. Um, this is where we say, okay, enough of that fuzzy thinking, enough of those myths that, that, that we've bought into, perhaps. And we say, God, what is your vision? What do you want us to be? What does your word define that, that your kingdom is supposed to be about? Now, we're blessed to have um, with us Brother Bob Chisholm, whose father is in town today. Glad to have you, George. Um, Bob Chisholm is our spiritual formation minister. Um, He has done an incredible amount of work on our vision um, and wordsmithing it and all this stuff. And right now, Bob is kind of um, going from connection to connection here at Preston Christ and our our Bible classes, our connections. And Bob is kind of doing a refresher course um, with some of our connections on what we are about as a church. Um, It's, you know, fundamentally, we say, Bob, it's passion for God and compassion for people. Now, we make that beautiful vision real when we reach up, when we reach into each other, when we reach out to the community. But Bob, why don't you share um, kind of a little bit about what you're doing right now as you move from connection to connection? All right. Well, we adopted this. You may, some of you may remember this. We spent a whole quarter thinking about the biblical basis of our vision. It wasn't just a, a nifty phrase that we thought up and put on our stationery thought this through and spend a quarter as a church thinking it through. And we put it on our walls, we put it on our stationery, we put it on our websites, very important to us. And it's passion for God, compassion for people. And we unpack that as up in and out. And the roots of that come right from Jesus. Jesus himself was asked one time, what is the greatest commandment? And he said, love God, with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. But it's interesting. He said, I can't give you one answer. I have to give you two. Love people as well. Because loving people is always connected to loving God. If I understand God, then I'm driven to people, all kinds of people. Uh, Scott McKnight wrote a book called The Jesus Creed, and in it he said, I've never been a creedal person until I realized that Jesus had a creed. Love God, love people. And Jesus said, all of the law and the prophets, everything you know in Scripture hangs on those two ideas. And so we thought we need to adopt those two and build our ministries 
and think of ourselves as working out of those two. And we've unpacked those, as, as Gordon says, as up, in, and out. And it's really easy to think through it. Up is my relationship to God. He's the fuel. He's, every, he's the basis of everything I do. If I don't have God as a fuel, then I'm operating on inferior fuel, and it's not going to work. But if I have that fuel, then I now have something to take to my neighbors. And I have two kinds of neighbors. One kind of neighbor already knows Jesus, and they're seated around me. They're in my church. I meet them in faith connections. And I reach in to those people. And that's what reaching in is all about. And I serve my brothers and sisters with the love that I found reaching up to my father. But there's another kind of neighbor. And that person does not know Jesus. And so we reach out with the compassion of Jesus. I heard it said one time that every heart filled with Jesus is a missionary. And every heart not filled with Jesus is a mission field. And so we reach out. And those are the three dimensions. They, they're all of my relationships. I don't have any other relationships. And there are so many ways to describe this. Uh, and I encourage you to think of all the different ways to think about this. Here are just a few maybe to get you started. You could think of, we have three kinds of relationships. One with God, and one with Christians, one with non-Christians. That's all of my relationships. That's all of them. We could say we have three areas of work. One, to establish faith with God. And then to develop that faith, which takes place in the body of Christ. And then to extend that faith to our community and around the world. We could say, well, we have also three focal points for life. One is to spend my time in worship. Another is to spend my time in fellowship. And another to spend my time in ministry. And that could give me a template for my life. We could also say three spiritual goals, to experience God, to discover the gifts which incidentally takes place in the body of Christ, and then to share and use those gifts to serve other people. And then we could also say, well, we have three essential experiences, to experience God, and then to experience the atmosphere of the church, to breathe in the relationships we have with each other, and then, yes, to experience the pain of the world. And that's where ministry takes place. And if you just think about these and how they relate to each other, you can already see how the inner life reaching up feeds the other two, flows over into the other two. Loving God feeds loving my neighbor. Passion for God is the basis for passion, compassion for people. And Walking with God helps me now care for people. And then all of those spiritual disciplines that you hear about, and they would be under the category of reaching up, like the inner life and prayer and worship and quiet time and Bible reading and fasting and meditation, and the list goes on of all the possible things God uses to shape you in that reaching up category. He does it so that I can move over now into the reaching in. And I can have fellowship and groups and prayer partners and body life and accountability and help you. And then together, we can then step into our city and we can work with, with social justice and service and generosity and helping the poor and serving the homeless and on and on that list goes. And you already see we have categories now. And this dreaming can take place under the umbrella of that vision. Now, this is found 
all over Scripture. And that's kind of the exciting part of this. Let me just show you a couple of places where I found it. And by the way, I now start putting uh, a little U and a little I and a little uh, O in margins of of my Bible whenever I see them because they're everywhere. And they're usually grouped together. One of your texts coming up, I saw it even in that later on. But here's a couple of places. Toward the end of Jesus' life, one of the last times, one of the last opportunities he had to teach the 12, uh, he's, it's the Passover time. And I want you to look at what he focuses on when he teaches them. In John chapter 15, in verses 1 through 11, he's talking to them. And look at what he tells them at the very beginning. The first thing he wants them to know is about reaching up. And he says, remain in me, remain in me, remain in the vine. I want to remain in you. In other words, I'm leaving you. I'm stepping away. Hang on. Don't let go of this faith that we've spent three years developing. Reaching up. That's what's on his heart. Verses 1 through 11. And then verses 12 through 17, that's not all that's on his heart. Look at what he says next about reaching in. Love each other. Your friends. Stay together. Hang together. Guard each other's back. Stand shoulder to shoulder. Reach into each other. And then in the next set of verses, verses 18 through 21, look at what's on his heart when he talks to these men about reaching out the world. Over and over and over, the world, the world, the world. I like to circle repeated words as I find them in my Bible when I'm reading. And I got to that page and I just kept circling. That's what was on his heart as he leaves ministry and he passes the baton to them, the world. Two chapters later, He has this extended time of prayer in John chapter 17 with him and the Father. And that's all that's there. And guess what's on his heart once again? Verses 1 through 5. Look what he's thinking about when he's thinking with the Father. He's talking and thinking about his own relationship with the Father. Glorify your Son, your Son, you, Father, you've sent me. I've done what you wanted me to do. It's on his heart. It's it's me and you, God. That's what's on his heart, reaching up. But that's not all that's on his heart. Verses 6 through 19. And when I started circling the pronouns, I saw this pronoun happening over and over again. Look at what just pops to the surface. What's on his heart? Those you gave me, they obeyed your word. Now they know. I gave them the words. They believe. They're yours. They're on his heart. That's the 12. Keep them together, Father. They know you now. They're coming to know you. And then at the end of his prayer, verses 20 to 26, he says, basically, I'm not praying for them alone. He says, and notice who he's praying for, all those who will believe on me through their word, reaching out. They're going to take the ministry now. And so the point is, our vision is clear. It's biblical. It's practical. And under the umbrella of this very strong, clear vision that we've lived with as a church for a long time, we can now do some new, fresh dreaming. It's going to be an exciting time, I think, Gordon. Wake up and start dreaming. Wake up. <laughs> like that. That's good stuff. Very, very good stuff. Appreciate all that you do with that. Um, so let's talk about that on the outline this morning. Kind of moving into this phase of, of exciting, of, of plugging in, of, of waking up to within this vision that God has given us a congregation to begin to dream and think about um, 
about what specifically we can do and what specifically we're being called to do in our community or maybe on the other side of the world, all right? So write this down. It's a big shift kind of in perspective here that needs to happen. We must understand that member values... Um, in other words, the church exists to serve me. I'm a member just like I'm a member at my health club or I'm a member of whatever. Member values are different from missionary values. I love that quote. Every, every heart with Jesus is a mission heart, uh, a missionary heart, and every heart without Jesus is a mission field that's right on. Um, so member values versus missionary values. And what we need is a culture. So this can involve reaching in, I guess. We need to create a culture where we convert members <laughs> into missionaries. All right? Where we wake people up to what Jesus is doing in the world around them and where we join in his work. Right? And it's more than just showing up at an address, it's more than just a building. It's more it is it is about the work of God and becoming his missionary, carrying out his mission. And so we've got to get kind of get over a clubhouse mentality in order to make that happen. And by the way, I think we've really made strides on that here at Preston Crest, and I'm very grateful for that. Um, So when we talk about being missionaries, Bob, it is not obviously an invitation for everybody to move abroad and plant a church. That's great too, but we're talking about being missionaries right here where God has placed us. Dallas, I mean, the Metroplex is a huge mission field and with statistics like the one we're, the ones that we've been seeing it is it is just an open mission field and there's so much to be done right here if we will dream together now one thing that happens when it comes to churches and one thing i believe that is a real turn off to the culture and the world around us is when churches begin to think institutionally when protecting the institution or advancing the institution becomes the goal of a church that is not exciting to the world around us i mean when you think institutionally about church work honestly god doesn't even have to show up to get done most of what's getting done in those churches or all of what's getting done in those churches and we don't want to be a place like that where we're able to manage and do everything with our money and with our talents and our time when we're able to pull all that off on our own that's not powerful that uh, the God ingredient, the reach up ingredient is not there. And as, as Bob said, everything else flows from the fuel source, from reaching out. Now, what, what's going to get the world excited? What's going to get the culture excited? What's going to get our city excited is when God is doing powerful things among us. I would rather have one God dream than a thousand good dreams. And so what we're looking for is a church that goes beyond thinking institutionally, or even has nothing to do with that kind of thinking, and begins to dream God-sized dreams. That means, second thing on your outline here, under wake up and start dreaming, we need faith. Faith, faith, faith. We need faith to dream of work that only God can do. Many churches I have here operate like giant machines where God doesn't have to show up to get done what's being done. The machine is taking care of all of that. But imagine a community where addictions are broken. Imagine a community where marriages that are falling apart are put back together. 
right? Imagine a community where people can come and experience the grace and the presence of God. That is a powerful community. One of our our members this morning shared with me his favorite New Testament word, dunamis in Greek. Dunamis is, is a word all over the New Testament, especially in the Gospel of Luke. It is the word that we get dynamite from. In Greek, dunamis is And that's what separates the church of Jesus Christ from a lot of great social organizations that are doing a lot of good. It is the power of God. It is the, it is the hands and feet of Jesus working in the world. Hudson Taylor said one time, All of God's giants have been weak men who did great things for God because they reckoned on His power and presence to be with them. So it's not about how great we are, it's about how great our God is. That's why we keep reaching up, and that means that prayer becomes incredibly important. It means we are genuinely seeking God. What are your dreams for this church? What are the dreams that you are going to power at this church, Father, and help us to believe them? Help us to dare to believe these dreams and to not limit dreams based on what we think we can accomplish. Because that's boring. I mean, what we can accomplish, but what God can accomplish with us, now that is, is something. And that's what we want to be about. So prayer becomes important um, to be a kingdom people, the kind of people where we get on our knees and we seek God's plans for his church. And that is very different, isn't it? Being a church that seeks God's plans for his church rather than, God, here's this new ministry, here's this new idea, would you kind of sprinkle your blessing over our ideas, right? You know what I'm saying? Does that make sense to you guys? We want your vision, we want your agenda, we want to be swept into your kingdom work and not settle for just asking you to kind of bless our plans, right? And that's what it means kind of to wake up and start dreaming. Acts chapter 4, the whole book of Acts is incredible. It's about the the church. I mean, it's messy. There there are problems, there are issues, there are divisions, there's conflict. But there's a beautiful thing happening in the book of Acts as the gospel of Christ spreads and unites very different sorts of people. And and, and, I mean, and and the world at large is watching what's going on and they're just like, wow, I can't believe that. I mean, I may not join that group. I may not become a Christian, but I gotta say, something's going on there. And you see that all throughout the book of Acts. In Acts chapter four, you have this church that's beginning to, be a little bit persecuted. Um, there are some arrests happening. Um, There's some, some turmoil as, as some of the powers that be around ancient Israel are trying to kind of stamp out this movement. And so what you have in Acts 4, you have a small group of our Christian brothers and sisters that have gathered in a member's home to pray. And I love what happens. Um, they pray, and the Bible says that after they were finished praying, the place they were in was shaken. And I believe that when God's people pray, we may not always get a physical shaking, a physical earthquake taking place, but when God's people pray and humble their hearts and seek Him, there's always a spiritual earthquake. Prayer in faith makes things happen. And so for the early Christians... Their kingdom life was a faith-based initiative. It wasn't always imagining, okay, what can we do? This scrawny, numerically small 
fledgling movement in, in this backwater place on planet Earth. What can we do with all of our resources? It was all about this faith-based initiative. What can God do through us? He can change the world. And he did. And he did. Listen to these words from Acts chapter 4. And I'm sure Bob is in his margin writing I's, O's, and U's by this as we go through this. Um, in, out, and up. And it kind of helps you to think about it, doesn't it, Bob? So Acts chapter 4, 31 to 34, this is what, what it says. After they prayed, after they were reaching up, after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of his possessions were his own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, with great dunamis, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and much grace was upon them all. All right, so if we're going to wake up and start dreaming, we're going to need to come together and be intentional about this. Um, seeking God together, also imagining together. Um, so here's kind of just a, a bird's eye view of what 2012 is going to look like as we, as we go through this together. Um, we will use, this is the last thing on your outline. I don't think there's anything to fill in here. But in 2012, we will use our prayers. We will use our faith. And we will use our imaginations to tap into the dynamic agenda that Jesus Christ has planned for Preston Crest in the years to come. Specifically, what's going to happen in just a few weeks, you're going to be invited to get together with your connection group, your Bible class. You're going to be, connect, you're going to be invited on a Sunday morning during regular connection time to sit down and dream. And we came up with 400 dreams in 96. I'm sure there'll be at least that many this time. You guys are good dreamers. We're going to begin this process. We're going to dream together, and then the rest of the year, we're going to spend kind of prioritizing things. Well, what, what was the frequency of this? How many people wanted this? Where, where's this dream? And what do we believe God's leading us to do with this? And, and kind of coming up with a list of priorities. But every dream is important, and I don't care if you're a member here. I don't care if you're a guest here. Honestly, I don't even care if you're a Christian. If you're a visitor here and you're a skeptic, you haven't even given your life to Christ, I want to know what your dreams are. What would it look like? Just use your imagination. What would it look like for a church to make a difference in this community and in this world? What would you like to see a group of Christian people doing in this community? I think, I think we, it's an invitation for all of us to dream um, and to come together and, and to think about what would that look like? And the possibilities are exciting. The church in 96 and the years that followed was changed by that Horizons 2000 project. Um, and the church is going to be changed through this. Let's, let's pray. God, we just can't... We can't do this without you. We don't want to do this without you. Father, we want... We beg for, we insist upon your leadership, your guidance. This is your church. The vision that Bob talked about, we call it our vision, but, but it started with you. It started Jesus with, with the two great commandments. And so, Father, excite our imaginations. Help us to dream. 
And Father, it's hard for us. We're so, sometimes we're so, we're so reasonable and we're so practical. Sometimes it's very hard for us to allow our faith to take over, our faith in you to take over. And so, Father, increase our faith. Help us to believe beyond what we can accomplish with our pocketbooks and with our plans. Help us to believe in what you can accomplish if we go all in, if we yield ourselves to you. Please hear this prayer, answer this prayer. Make this a very special year where you invite us into your plans for this city, for this community, for this world. And Father, I pray this morning with a humble heart, I pray that you will transform members into missionaries, that you'll make us your disciples. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.